WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote, and welcome to the Bat Summit. Uh, we have gathered some of the finest minds on the internet to talk about the Dark Knight as the Tom King run draws to a close this week. Uh, what worked, what didn't work, all that good stuff. Uh, first and always, uh, we've got WMQ's premier Batmanologist and my co-host and best friend, Matthew Lazowitz. Greetings and salutations. Uh, then you all. know him from his uh, Wednesday Warriors column at WMQ and uh, his love of bourbon and ranting on Twitter. It's Will Nevin. Howdy and uh, finally, our last guest beat Matt in last year's Great Batman Trivia Challenge episode and hosts podcasts like Movie Fighters, Apocrypals, and War Rocket Ajax. It's Chris Sims. Hi, I'm, I'm really excited to meet these great minds that you've invited. <laughs> so uh, just... <laughs> Let's not get carried away. <laughs> They're definitely minds. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'll take so, it. So uh, just to sort of reestablish everyone's uh, batafetus, uh, you know, how, how long has, has each of you been reading Batman? Do you, do you actually remember your first uh, Batman story? Matt, why don't we start with you? Well, the first comic I ever remember being given by one of my uncles was not really a, a, a comic in that it was one of the old school DC who's who's that they, you know, bought off a spinner rack because I was watching, you know, Super Friends and such on TV. But it was issue two of the original Who's Who, so it was all characters whose name begin with B. So Batman, Batman of Earth 2, Batgirl, Batwoman, Batmite. It was really cool cutaway of the Batcave, all the stuff in Batman's utility belt. It started something that 33 years later is still going on. The first issue I bought on my own was Batman 445, yes, from January of 1990, so a few months after Batman 89. And I've not missed an issue since, God help me. Will, how about you? So here's a dirty little secret of mine. Um, I have actually not been reading comics all of that long. Uh, so my first Batman comic proper was... Scott Snyder's run. Um, I remember devouring basically everything up until uh, Endgame and loving that, especially Court of Owls. And of course, I've gone back and read a lot of stuff. So kind of a noob. Uh, Chris, how about you? Uh, I have been reading Batman comics pretty much constantly since October of 1988. Although I guess to be more accurate, it was uh, probably... Closer to, what, August of 1988, since cover dates are always two months True. ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that was that was the the month that Batman number 424 came out, which is my favorite comic, I've, or, or my first Batman comic. I've, I've written about it quite a few times. Uh, it's the one where Robin <laughs> uh, kicks a dude off a building. Yep. Um, the, the issue before the legendary battery panel. Oh, God, it's so good. Like, I don't... I've sold that comic to people by describing it as Die Hard in a junkyard with Batman, and I think that's what more do you need? Yeah, that's uh, but there's also the uh, the Untold Legend of the Batman mini comic came out, I believe, in '86, and I know I had that with the cassette tape, and that was a big formative memory for me as a child. So it's been a good bit of time. I found those cassette tapes when I was going through some boxes recently. 
They're great. They're like full cast audio recordings. There's, yeah. They have wild music too. Oh, I remember that song. That's the best man. <laughs> that and I had those in Man of Steel. They did the same thing for the Burn Man of Steel. Wow, did they really? I've never seen the Man of Steels. Yeah, I've got I've got all six of those too. With the cassette tapes and everything? With the cassette tapes, yeah. Now do you have That's those amazing. from like I've do you never have those from seen childhood those. or did you just like stumble upon those at in like a, a bin or something somewhere? Childhood. I, I got that there yeah, I, I was going through some boxes in the sun porch of doom that will hopefully move into the garage of destiny in the spring and uh, found those in the monks stuff I'm like wow I don't have anything that can play these cassettes currently but I might have to track something down that's awesome I have a USB Walkman so nice. send them on over to me and I'll, I'll let you know how they are <laughs> I'll keep, uh, I'll keep yeah. that in mind sir uh, I've also uh, written about Batman frequently I was a uh, professional comics critic for several years. I was on The Daily Show to talk about Batman. I was interviewed by CNN. Uh, I am one of the people interviewed by Glenn Weldon for uh, his book, The Kate Crusade, which is very good and a very it's a good phenomenal book. book. Uh, fantastic book about the rise of nerd culture paralleled with uh, the rise of Batman. Um, makes a great Christmas gift. That's uh, I have no stake in it. It's just I, I like it a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, but he, he interviewed me for that, and I've, I've talked to him a lot, so... Uh, yeah, I have some. I, I would like to think I have some some Batman credentials. Also, I won a trivia contest on, on a podcast once. How does John Stewart smell? No, I didn't meet John Stewart. I, I saw John Stewart. He was about fifty feet away down the offices. Uh, he was having a conversation with um, with Olivia Munn because she did some Daily oh, yeah. Show stuff for a bit. Uh, and the weird thing, uh, they told me no one had ever said this before. He was taller than I expected. <laughs> and it's like, and I said that, and I was like, we've never heard that. And I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, you guys make jokes about it all the time. Like, he's just a normal guy. <laughs> so uh, we are recording this the Monday, or excuse me, the Sunday before uh, Batman 85 is released. Uh, the end of the Tom King run, uh, the end of the year, the end of the decade, the end of a lot of things. Um, are you ready for it all to be over? Yes. <laughs> Definitively. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah I, I, I will say, I am, I am very excited for James Tynion to, to come on the I think he's going to be, I think he's going to crush it. Like that is more than like the end of what Tom King is doing on, on Batman. Cause you know, it's, it's essentially still going to be happening. Uh, like just in mm-hmm. a different book. I think Tynion getting kind of, the 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 run on Batman is going to be really really great. I cannot wait wait to see that. I mean, uh, for the first however long into Rebirth that he was on Detective, Detective was the Bat book that I was looking forward to the most, more so than Batman because Tiny's Detective was oh so good. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, you, you just look at what he's done with the character. Like, so much super fun stuff. I mean, Batman, Batman TMNT should not have worked. <laughs> and it's, it's one of my favorite Batman stories. Let, let alone three times. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. He wrote one of the few, like, uh, like T- TMNT stories tend to be either raft stories 
or Leo stories with Mikey and Donnie kind of in the background as supporting characters. But that middle volume that is really about Donatello is one of the best Donatello stories you'll come across. Yeah. I am not an action figure guy anymore. Like I have, um, I've cut it down to, to three. I've got three on my desk right now. Uh, I have um, first season animated series, Batman. Uh, the the good, like super articulated DC direct one they did. Uh, I've got Scrooge McDuck and I have Captain Picard. <laughs> but i see those i see those two packs like like when i went to go buy like pokemon i saw those two packs and first of all those are great figure designs they're beautiful uh also alfred comes with mikey and that seems weird to me (laughs) well somebody's got to clean up after him i mean i guess i i guess but yeah i'm i'm really i'm really looking forward to that i Every time I've talked to, to Tiny about stuff, he's super sharp. I love everything he's done. But I am also ready for Tom <laughs> King's run to be over. Well, let's 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 go for the compliment sandwich here. Uh, you know, with the with the King run, what what are some of the things that worked for you? I said this on um, this week's episode of War Rocket Ajax because it, it occurred to me while I was reading, uh, catching up on the last few issues of Batman, that. Since Morrison, so since, what, 2006-ish? Um, no, earlier in that. Earlier? Uh, two th- uh, oh, no. You're right, you're right. It's it's early 2006. Because yeah. I was about to say 2005, but in 52 started May first week of May 2006, and this would have been a little before that. So, yeah, 2006. Yeah. Since then... We have gotten, there's been such a huge shift in the way Batman works as a character and as a franchise at DC. And uh, Morrison made Batman weird and like brought back a lot of stuff that I think people even, you know, as recently as, as the early 2000s would have uh, been like, ah, that's, you know, that, that won't work with Batman. And since then, I think you've gotten creators that are either like big Morrison fans, like big fans of what he did or like are the people who are of the age where they were like reading JLA in the nineties. Like, I mean, Steve Orlando, obviously you look at what his books and it's like, Oh yeah, this dude loves nineties DC. Like I love nineties DC. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And I think I honestly, I think time is the same way. And I think that's very evident. uh, If you read his run on detective, um, but Morrison, Scott Snyder, Tom King, those are three long runs on Batman, uh, that have not been afraid to be very weird. Uh, like Scott Snyder's Batman is a weird Batman in a way that I really love. Like he's a cussing Batman. <laughs> he's a cussing Batman who has a, who has the final machine in the basement. Like that, that's his Batman clone machine that he makes. <laughs> I love the final machine. He he went through the mantling with with all the metals because you know nth metal that's the ninth metal. Uh, like all that stuff is very weird, and King really kept that up. A- a- and I say that that it's the way Batman works the franchise because obviously that's that's Batman the book right, and the old the old line about the two core Batman titles are that Batman's the superhero book and Detective is the detective book. That's a lie. It has never been the detective book. 
<laughs> that's never been and never like come on. Uh, but I think Greg Rooker tried it and it didn't last. I think well, I think it's usually the moodier book, right? It's, yeah. it's usually the less action heavy book. But I mean, think about think about the stuff that happened in in Greg Rucka's run. There's like there's like werewolves. There's like yeah, I mean the, the werewolf drug storyline with Rachel Ghoul is in yeah. it. Yeah, like it's not not a superhero book, you know. Um, and I think I think regardless of what else happens in that run, like regardless of whether you know whether it's quality, Tom King did a run on Batman that was kind of largely about uh, Flashpoint Thomas Wayne naked wrestling with Bane. Yep. <laughs> and and that's like, that's weird. And that's and like... hot! <laughs> like, it's the thing, it's the thing I always say, right? Like, I, I just want to see something I've never seen before, which is almost impossible in Batman stories. Uh, but, but here we are. That I had never seen. I had never seen Thomas Wayne naked wrestle against uh, Bane. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's. I enjoyed the weirdness. Also, like individual issues of that run have been really stellar. The 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 Super Friends uh, bit was that was when I like. I've said this before too, and and I have I have not talked to Tom like I interviewed Tom King like once or twice for my old job like back mm-hmm. towards the start of his run too. Um, so I don't know this for a fact, but I have always gotten the sense as a reader that Tom King likes all the stuff around Batman. He likes Alfred. He likes Gotham City. He likes the sidekicks. He clearly likes Dick Grayson. Like, you know, Gray- Grayson was a fantastic book. And I think I think people forget that he was, he was one of the guys on that. <laughs> uh, but he likes all the stuff. He doesn't like Bruce Wayne. That's, that's the, that's the sense that I get. And the, the, uh, Super Friends arc where Batman and Superman are talking about each other and how much they admire each other and it's like and it's like both of them are like yeah he doesn't have to do this like he could do anything like I have to like I, I have to be Batman I have to be Superman but he could do whatever and he does it and I think that perspective on those two characters was one of the best interactions between those two characters that I have seen in comics in roughly 40 years uh but yeah, like I, that really nailed it. Um, well, I mean, I'll start with something, and I think this is kind of come and gone a little bit. Like there have been times where this was spot on, and times where it was less so. But this is the first time since Gail Simone's original pre New Fifty Two run on Secret Six where Bane has seemed like an interesting character again. Ever, I mean, the, you look at Bane since the New 52, and he's been pretty blah at best. Very much Arkham Games Bane, especially that Dark Knight arc right out of the gate in the New 52. I like the KG Bane. Now, granted the Thomas Wayne has been playing him all along thing sort of undercut that towards the back end of the run. But Bane can be written as a bruiser a little too easily. And he was created as, you know, one of the 6 million anti-bats out there and is 
better when played that way. Uh, I, I I fully agree with you on that about Bane. I, I love Bane as a character. Also, you said KG Bane, and now I want to pitch uh, KG Beast becomes Bane. <laughs> like that's, okay. I'm, I'm ready for that. <laughs> KG Beast, who essentially was a prototype Bane. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. There's there's definitely a a similarity there. Yeah. What if KG Beast gets on the Venom? Very exciting. Where is he going to put it, though? He doesn't have the arm. <laughs> right in the butt. <laughs> I didn't say it. It was in my head, but I didn't say it. Thank you. So so I like this for individual moments. Uh, number one, uh, when Batman is contemplating, uh, you know, is this going to be a good death? Would mother and father be proud? And and I will say that's an interesting theme he more or less carried out to the very end. I liked revisiting that moment uh, here at the end of the run. But there were for me there were just those moments. Uh, I I didn't like the overall direction. I did not like the obsession on the the Batman Catwoman relationship especially especially when uh so many other things suffered because of it and and we can get into uh maybe the, the moment where i was like i'm done i can't take any more of this please move on mr king uh but i i liked that that emotional core that we saw there in in number one and then i liked uh cold days cold days as a contained arc being one of my favorite Batman stories uh, that I've ever read, because obviously my legal background, I, I you know I love the courtroom drama, big sucker for that. But it showed the emotional consequences of choices that Bruce Wayne, um, well, rather that Batman had made that Bruce Wayne is having to deal with. So again, I liked those little tiny moments where I thought. King really had some insight into the character and showed off exactly what he could do on the book. And the Elmer stuff, uh, or Elmer Fudd yes. stuff was funny. <laughs> yeah. uh. I think, and it's, I'm surprised I haven't heard more people talk about this particular story, but the recent, the final, and King's final annual, Annual 4, I thought was a delight. And I think it had a lot of smart things to say about Batman that have kind of been put a little by the wayside by Morrison's Bat God. That there's a line in that issue when Batman's about to go and fight a dragon, which now granted that is a very Morrison concept, where he Batman is telling saying to Alfred that sometimes over planning leads to the equivalent of analysis paralysis and so you just have to sometimes ride into the fray and that is so against the batman that we've seen in so many iterations lately the always over prepared batman not that i don't like a batman with a plan i mean that's why he's batman and that's why i love the character but there's also a bravery to him, you know, being willing to go out and fight a dragon and just sort of figure it out as he goes along. And he helps a little old lady who's got dementia back to her home. And I think we often 
in getting the Dark Knight forget that Bruce does really like to help people sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's the point that Thomas makes. Mm. Um, conversely, you what are the what are some of the things that that didn't work for you? Well, <laughs> sure, sure, I'll, I'll jump in there. Um, so the the relationship is is first and foremost my biggest mm -hmm. complaint with the book uh, because I don't think anyone anyone is as invested in the Batman and Catwoman relationship as. Tom King is. Look, I, I appreciate it. It gives character and depth to both of them. But I gave up on this whole damn book in 77 where we kill Alfred only to set up the big emotional return of the two of them together. Like, there are some things that are simply at the core of Batman and his relationship with Alfred is right there. Uh, it's just, uh, <laughs> um, so that, that that was my big my big complaint. Um, second, probably the two characters that were central to this run, their motivations to me simply didn't make sense. And and those are, are Gotham Girl and Thomas Wayne, and. The only way that Thomas Wayne makes any sense, and you fellers chime in if, if, if I'm wrong on this, the only way that Thomas Wayne makes any sense is that if you read into it that he is completely insane, like completely, that his primary motivation is to stop Bruce from becoming Batman and that he will do anything to stop that, even if that means causing his son intense suffering, misery, pain, anything. And and just approaching that from a logical perspective, I mean, there are some things that I, I think a father just wouldn't do. And, and to say that, well, Thomas would just do anything to keep Bruce from becoming Batman, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And with Gotham Girl, and, and this goes all the way back to number one, King wanted to position Gotham Girl as being this core character. And, and we're supposed to have some emotions invested in her. And she simply shows up there in number one, and we're just supposed to accept her. Right. Like like Bruce accepts her uh, that, that Bruce doesn't do any investigating. And and I think some of this gets like, I don't know, established in the end. It's like, well, yeah, of course, I knew exactly who she was all along. Blah, 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 blah. But it, it, the, the setup just wasn't there in the beginning, especially as we're supposed to care about her, uh, you know, as she goes through this emotional trauma, the loss of her brother. And it's just blah, 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 blah. Uh, for a new character, he just, I don't think, didn't lay any of the groundwork that was necessary. And those three things, I think, the the Batman-Catwoman relationship, uh, Thomas Wayne and Gotham Girl, to me, on the overall uh, you know, 30,000-foot view of this run, to me, those are three fatal flaws. 
I think I think with Thomas Wayne and and you know stop stop me if I'm off I'm off base here because you know I'm I'm not quite you know as, as as steeped but you know the whole idea that you know whereas Batman took the oath or whereas Bruce Wayne took the oath to war on all criminals you know Thomas's oath was to war on his son being unhappy. You know, and and there are some writers who have sort of played up the angle of of Batman's oath being a kind of, you know, self defeating psychosis. You know, which which is is absurd because he's you know the good guy. Thomas is actually, you know, it takes it to that extreme that that Batman's been accused of in the past. Uh, as for Gotham Girl, she's just poochy. Yeah. <laughs> And it's interesting that at the beginning of the run, he sets up this relationship between her and Duke Thomas, and then it kind of feels like he forgets Duke Thomas exists. I mean, part of it felt like he got kind of shuffled off, but he was shuffled off to Detective Batman and the Outsiders long after King stopped including him in the run. Well, I, I think there were gonna there were plans, right? Batman and the Signal was supposed to be a thing that didn't really go anywhere. It was really a thing. It was a three right? issue thing. <laughs> but yeah, wasn't it supposed to be more? I, I, at least I, I, I thought feel that like was it had idea. been originally announced as an ongoing, and then became a backdoor miniseries. <laughs> Whoops! It happens. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I definitely... it, it definitely happens. You yeah. do think you are going to get an ongoing, and then you don't. Yeah, it's not like we've all have an interviewed creators who that's Truth. happened to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, no, I definitely see where you're coming from, Will, because yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me that yeah, Thomas Wayne seems completely blind to the fact that Bruce has built a family that on some level or another makes him happy that Thomas just sees the Batman suit and immediately is like, okay, that means he's miserable and broken and we need to fix this because King's story in detective 900, which are not 900, 1000, which I'm trying to find my hardcover copy of. And I think I might've moved that into storage um, is the whole thing about the Batman family and about how much, he has this real love for these people that he sees and that Thomas very clearly does not. Mm-hmm. Uh, my main problem with it is that it's not very good. <laughs> uh, and, and I want to make this very clear that uh, I don't think I don't want to offer a like evaluation of um, like as a as a writer um even as much as to talk about his performance on this book specifically because he has in the past one year like one calendar year written one of my favorite comics of all time that like i i have been thinking about getting a a mr miracle tattoo for a long time and now i'm thinking like well what if it's not kirby what if it's from <laughs> what if it's from the tom king miss Jarrett's book um he has also written one of my least favorite comics of all time uh in the form of of heroes yeah. in crisis uh by and large oh wait wait, wait. everybody loved that though <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, like, look, we got that new Flash <laughs> series out of it about the Flash. Who killed you're, kill, you're killing Matt right now. You're killing Matt. <laughs> uh, but, like, generally speaking, like, I've read, weirdly enough, I haven't read Vision. Uh, I don't know why, but, like, it's as far as God. DC goes, like, DC and Vertigo, uh, I've read everything King's done. Like, by and large, I really like it. Like, I like Omega Men. I like Grayson. I like... Uh, Mr. Miracle a lot. I'm actually really looking forward to this Adam Strange book, although I'm uh, I'm nervous because I feel like whatever you do to to follow up Mr. Miracle is gonna it's 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 tough. It's gonna be very tough. Um, and I don't want to I don't want to like ascribe motivations because back when I was a a professional reviewer, it's very easy to be like this is what this person was thinking when they did this, right? Like, this is the only reason they could have done this. And being on the other side of that is weird. Uh, we, uh, my writing partner, Chad Bowers and I, we did an X-Men book for a little while. And we did a, uh, uh, a scene where like nineties, it was a nineties X-Men book. It was called X-Men 92. It was an ongoing series that then wasn't. So <laughs> if you want to check that out, um, we had a scene where uh, X-Factor shows up like 90s x factor and uh somebody online like wrote this really angry thing about how we didn't include um quicksilver because of uh like disney fox stuff and that you know disney keeps meddling with with marvel and I read that and I was like, we didn't put Quicksilver in that scene because I didn't want to write Quicksilver. <laughs> like, like super speed's hard to write in a big fight scene. Like, I just didn't want to do it. I don't like Quicksilver. Uh, and, I, and so, like, I, I very much try not to... You kind of have to take people's words at face value, you know? Uh, all of which is to say... We... we the, the line that we've seen in, like, interviews and, and media about the the Batman run is that like it's 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 a plan, right? It's a plan for a hundred issues. Now a plan for eighty-six. Uh and if that if that is true, I don't think the plan had a lot of details. It doesn't seem to me this doesn't read like a book that was planned like that. Like it doesn't seem like a meticulously planned book. Which it doesn't necessarily have to be. It could just be like, hey, here's the 12 six issue stories I'm going to tell. But I think it is, it stands out to me that a lot of the best stuff in that run comes not necessarily, not accidentally, but not where one would expect it. Like how uh, there's a complete long running kite man gag uh, throughout. Uh, well, the, I... Even in the most recent issue. I, I will say that does get run into the ground. Yeah, I think it, I, I I would agree. But like the, the kite man bit happens. And then in the middle of a story, in the middle of war of jokes and riddles, there's a two issue interlude that is not, you know, like not part of the established story, which by the way, was not a good story. Like it is, we, we had a whole debate on, on my podcast, War Rocket Ajax, where Matt Wilson and I like literally tried for half an hour to figure out if it was good or bad, which is not something we usually have to do. I'm, I make a lot of snap judgments. Um, but that then becomes 
that that becomes the climax, right, of of War of Jokes and Riddles. It becomes a big Kite Man gag about how Kite Man is sad because because Kite Man has a dead son. Because uh, that's what he needed, you know. That's what that's what Kite Man really needed. Uh, but how does that story revolve entirely around Kite Man when Kite Man's not in it until that two issue interlude? I feel like like the way that that reads is that it was the the planned ending was not the ending that we got. And again, I have no idea if that was the case and I could be completely wrong about that, but I, I use that as an example because I feel like that's the run. Like that the is entire the entire run. Is the run. T- Kite man two-parter. The entire, the entire run is, is right from the beginning. We know like, okay, we're going to have a big, big Bane story. Bane shows mm-hmm. up in the second yeah. arc, right? So this is going to be essentially be a hundred issues about Bane and Gotham Girl, and then it's kind of not. Then it's kind of like a bunch of different stuff that kind of meanders around and gets back to it, and some of it's some of it doesn't hold together at all. Uh, again, there are individual issues that I think are really good. I actually think that Mister Freeze story is is really strong, and that's what kept me reading the book after the wedding issue, uh, which I did not care for. Nobody um, did. Yeah, nobody cared for the wedding issue. I thought that was going to be like as 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 an observer of uh, comics media, and and I'll be honest with you guys. Uh, since it is not my job anymore, since we all got fired on a Thursday afternoon uh, six weeks before I got married, which was super fun. That's how Comics Alliance yeah. ended, by the way. If uh, anybody's wondering, um, <laughs> uh, like I don't really pay attention. I don't read a lot of comics reviews. I don't listen to a lot of comics podcasts. Like I, I see people uh on on the bad website twitter and matt and i review comics every week on the show and that's kind of it like uh you know i'll I'll talk to friends about stuff when it comes out and generally speaking it's either stuff that we're really excited about or doomsday clock (laughs) and like (laughs) the two the two genders there was four more days four more days and no one has to speak those two words together in relation to a comic again. Wait, is Doomsday uh, Clock right now? Yeah, this Wednesday, final issue. I, can't, I keep really? hitting refresh, yeah. waiting for the uh, bait and switch, but no, it's December 18th. <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a comic where Mary Marvel talks about Dr. Manhattan's stick, and I don't like it. Yeah. Again, I'm... no one does, but it keeps coming out, and... It's just kind of like, okay, can this thing be over so we can get the Justice Society back, please? Uh, oh, do you guys want a sidebar to the sidebar to the sidebar and hear my big, my, my biggest complaint about, uh... Do it! Uh, Doomsday Clock? Go for it. <laughs> um, uh, they send that flash drive or whatever with pictures of the Justice Society to Lois Lane. And she opens it up and she sees the Justice Society and she's like, who is this? What is this? And I'm like, hey... Hey, that's post-crisis Lois Lane. That's pre-Flashpoint Lois Lane. That's John Byrne, Dan Jurgens, Lois Lane. She knows who the Justice Society is. Yeah. Like, did you forget that, like, you you actually killed off New 52 Lois Lane and gave a new Lois Lane in this book? They, they, I'm sorry. I think everyone has forgotten that. The, they've, I think they've forgotten that, you know, they did the Superman identity reveal two and a half years. I guess longer than that now, but four or five years ago. So, yeah, also, um, Crystal Frost is in that book uh, as Killer Frost. 
And so if you're looking for the first appearance of uh, post-Flashpoint Killer Frost, that's it. Because that's not who Killer Frost is now. Killer Frost is not Crystal Frost. It's Caitlin Snow. And again, the reason I mentioned this is because I didn't write these comics. DC Comics put these comics out. <laughs> they put their logo on the cover. I'm not supposed to be the one keeping this stuff straight. Anyway, that's my, that's my, I used to work at a comic book store and these are the things that make me mad complain. Yeah, yeah well, you're in the right place for that. Uh, but yeah, like, getting getting back to the the Batman run, I do, like, none of this to me holds together like it was planned. Uh, and if it was planned, I think that's a big problem. And if it wasn't planned, I think it is also a big problem. Because none of it really makes sense. And you get these really good individual moments. The annual I thought was really fun. Um, but the annual also had nothing to do with anything. Uh, I thought that story about um, Alfred buying uh, Batman a dog was pretty good. Except for uh, Bruce is an asshole who doesn't pay attention <laughs> in it. And I feel like if there's one thing Batman does is pay attention. Like, you can you can argue about whether he's an asshole. He's not. But, like... <laughs> Thank you. Uh, like he does pay attention. Um, but yeah, like I, it's, it doesn't hold together. I don't really know what anyone wants. I don't know why anything is happening. And I feel like there's a, there is a, you have to buy a lot to read Batman, right? Like you have to be willing to accept a lot. You have to be willing to accept that if a, uh, major earthquake hit a city, of 10 million people and a few buildings fell over that the government would just wall it off and abandon it. You have to be willing to accept that that is a thing that happens because that is what the story is asking you to accept. And so you go, okay, I can do that. It's very difficult for me (laughs) to accept that anyone would be like, yeah, you can like, what's going on in there? Oh, the Riddler's the police. This is a good idea. (laughs) Like we're Superman. You know, who should probably fix that Superman. I mean, I, I guess. I mean, remember back the the uh, his honor the penguin, dishonor the penguin from Batman sixty six, where the where you know I think wasn't Penguin going to put the Riddler in charge of the police, or was it the Joker? I mean, I guess if Bane is the mayor, <laughs> there, there was no election. If Bane was naked except for a sash that said mayor, that run would be an all time <laughs> classic, and that is not like because because that's the I thing, right? Like, comic. I feel like that run. I feel like that, like that comic knows how goofy it is because it's a goofy book, and I don't mind that. Like I like a weird Batman. Like I said, I love it when Batman's weird. I want Batmite in that book. I want. Uh, I love it when. I mean, you talk about overprayer Batman. I love overprayer Batman. One of my favorite things in, uh, like Batman R.I.P. is in the running for my favorite Batman story. And one of my favorite things in it is that flashback scene where the guy tries to poison Batman. Tries to poison Bruce Wayne, yes. and he says, uh, "Oh, sorry, you blinked. I switched cups. <laughs> Reflex. <laughs> like that's great. I love that guy." Morrison can write the overprepared Batman. The problem is a lot of other writers can't quite get it. Yeah, but but like, it's you get to the point where it's not working, right? Like, what does anyone want in that book? Thomas Wayne wants Bruce Wayne to not be Batman. That's that's okay. Um, why does, first of all, also, here's a good question. Um, why does that Thomas Wayne exist? Because Flashpoint wasn't an alternate timeline. Flashpoint was the DC Universe timeline. 
and it got switched back. Like that was the whole deal, right? Like Barry Allen yeah. went back in time and altered the core DC universe. I mean, that that happens with so that Thomas Wayne is dead. They pretty much they do that with any AU though. Once like you know people decide it's a beloved story, oh suddenly it is, and you know it's Earth two nine five or whatever. That's the trick. Marvel does that because that's how the Marvel alternate universes yeah. work. They branch. Yeah, time travel is impossible in the Marvel universe. Right. DC, it's one unit. There are the X number of Earths, but you can't. You if you change time in one of those Earths, it changes that Earth. It doesn't create a new splintered Earth. Yeah. It, it had to do with Professor Zoom, who's just a dick. Maybe he maybe he came from the dark multiverse, which is the multiverse <laughs> of bad ideas. That's... Yeah. But like that's we know that's what he wants. I don't know what Bane wants. I have no idea what Bane wants. I have no idea what I have no idea why the other criminals are working for Bane. I think uh, I, I think wasn't it established that that's that Bane is basically a psycho pirate whammy all of them? Did he? Is that what yeah. it is? Yeah, I, I, that's the idea. But uh, I, I did want to circle back to the idea of, you know, like Joker and uh, Riddler and Two-Face all being these cops or whatever. Uh, to me, it was just a sign of, I don't want to say like King not getting it, but it, it was just, why? Like, why did that happen? Why did it exist? Because, I mean, it's like... The difference between seeing a tiger out uh, in the wild and then a tiger in the zoo. Like, I don't read a Batman book to see, like, Riddler or Two-Face, like, salute somebody else and just be, like, this this mindless automaton. Like, that's just not interesting. And by the time you go through one or two uh, members of the rogues gallery, like, we get it, like... Yeah, so that was just a weird moment for me. Um, and, and then also... But, like, okay, so he's using Psycho Pirate. So why didn't he just use Psycho Pirate on Damien? Why didn't he use Psycho Pirate on the Batman family? Because oh, yeah. reasons... Oh, well, actually, I think he he did use the Psycho Pirate on the family. Um, but one other point I wanted to get in Am there. I just missing things? Am I just not good at reading it? Because, look, I'll, I'll take that as a... I mean, it was a long run. Uh... <laughs> Um, this, it actually might have been in 85 that that was established. Sorry. Okay. Um, uh, one more thing I wanted to get out, uh, the whole city of Bane idea, uh, that, you know, Gotham has been walled off and abandoned, um, that, that just seemed a little familiar, but you know, I'm just putting it out there. I mean, and I also have generally speaking, no issue with someone a writer working with a character to make them fit in their what they're doing, but there were a few characters that are so woefully out of character in yeah, this like one, like Batman, like, like Holly Robinson, who's a character that uh, Ed Brubaker and Will Pfeiffer spent so much time with in Catwoman and made her this really interesting character, and then it's like, yeah, no, now she's just the person who killed 157 people. That was bananas. I forgot about that. Yeah, that Holly has no personality other than, oh yeah, she's a psycho killer who works for Bane. Yeah, like that, like... It's, no, it's, it's very weird. Like, I, again, I don't... I don't know what a lot of people want in that book. I, I will say the one good thing that came out of that whole Kite Man thing is that we now have the wacky Kite Man on the Harley Quinn animated series, 
who is kind of a complete running joke in that series and is does fun he say for it. does he say Kite Man, Matt, hell yeah i don't think he has yet but we're already episodes in um he he just got a he got a crew in the most recent issue he he he's voiced by matt oberg and is a lot of fun um and he also who also voiced kg beast in this most recent episode so he showed up is it good it's wow so no <laughs> no you know what? No, what i'm trying to figure out how to say it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun. I need to give it more. The three episodes have been very enjoyable, but I need to see where it goes to say whether or not it's going to be good in the long run. The voice cast in general is great. I like that Kaylee Cuoco is not trying to do an Arlene Sorkin impression like pretty much everyone else who has voiced Harley Quinn to different degrees of good or bad. Um... Alan Tudyk makes a great Joker, and I need more than one or two lines out of him, but I think uh, Giancarlo Esposito as Lex Luthor is going to wind up being second only to Clancy Brown in that role. Um, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of gore and a lot, a lot, a lot of swearing. And so that, I can absolutely see that be a turnoff for some people. Yeah, I watched the trailer and it just didn't seem like the kind of thing i would enjoy (laughs) yeah i think that is absolutely going to be a lot of people's reactions as i'm not let me put it this way there have been the the first season the first episode of the new season of young justice sold me on that season right out of the gate first season episode of young justice period sold me that show out of the gate i'm three episodes into harley quinn and it's like okay it's a lot of fun there's a lot of great cameos but I also know that there's a lot of the people who are going to hate it, not because of it not being their thing, but because it's, you know, making a point about the glass ceiling and things and not doing it too heavy handed, but they're going to be people who are going to hate it for the reasons that make me want to smack them. And so part of me is probably willing to give it more of a, a leash because I like what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And, I think uh, Lake Bell, who's voicing Ivy, is delightful. And Wanda Sykes was the Queen of Fables in the most recent episode. Oh, that's a deep pull. It was. And it's the Queen of Fables trapped in the tax code from the end of JLA 50, who is now has to be an accountant because she's trapped in the tax code. And that's, like, see, that's, that's a really fun bit. Like, that makes me want to watch it. That was a great, that was a great deep cut. And uh, Maxi Zeus was in the most recent episode as this sort of supervillain inspirational speaker. Wow. That that he uh, yeah, and I was like, boy, Maxi Zeus. We have not seen Maxi Zeus in ages. Is he dead? I thought he was. I, no, he was back in um, Eternal. He showed up again in Eternal, but he because he died in the old universe and I guess was reborn in the New Fifty Two along with everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just yeah, I, I can just go. I will. I will stop on that. Well, you know, I, I just as as sort of the outside bad observer kind of in the group. You know, I've been sort of a tourist of this run. Like, I'll pop in if I have like a light week. You know, in my regular reading, there's been. I I think you know you guys have already spoken to this, but I think the you know the standalone stories, you know tend to work better 
than the larger plots. Like I love the um, the Swamp Thing issue number twenty three. Um, obviously, Elmer Fudd. The annuals have have by and large been some of the best stuff. Um, there were a couple of issues. I I I could not wrap my head around nightmares. Like just ten issues where he's just bouncing from from like dream to dream. Like I remember picking up sixty two because I was like, oh, Mitch Garrett's is drawing this. I'm you know, can't wait to read it. I didn't understand what was going on, and then I picked up sixty three, which I think was the Constantine one. And I was like, yeah, I still don't get it. And that really that kind of <laughs> soured me on things for a bit because I I've got like trades up to War and Jokes of War of Jokes and Riddles, and I was like, hmm, do I want to keep you know do I want to keep reading this and so far, the answer's been no. <laughs> uh, correlation does not equal causation, obviously. But Nightmares was right about the time that we fi- found out that he wasn't going to get to 100. Um, and that always just kind of stuck out in my mind as a possible moment where things just kind of went sideways. Because I, I actually enjoyed the first half of nightmares question mark, because I, I'm a big sucker for anthologies. I liked the idea of having these self-contained, you know, one-off little stories that were a part of this bigger arc, but they just, it just kind of petered out there at the end. And I, I think by the end of it, everybody was kind of making fun of him for it. Uh, night nightmares made no sense. <laughs> night, like, like nightmares made no sense. It was, it was, I feel Literal validated nonsense. right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> like I, 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 for, I completely forgot about it until you just brought it up, but like, because it's completely forgettable. It has yeah, zero it bearing has, on anything else. It has no purpose. And I feel like there's a lot of that run that has no purpose. And I feel like the things that do have a purpose don't have the purpose they're supposed to. Like there's the, um, there's the bit very early on, like this might be in the second arc too, where someone is like, Oh, you know, don't forget the war of jokes and riddles, Batman. And uh, and you're like, oh, I wonder what that's going to be. And then you find it's like somebody coughing for the word foreshadowing. Yeah, let me let me tell you all about the war of jokes and riddles as we're lying in our underwear for ten issues Um, straight. It, by the way, it used to be my least favorite thing in the world when superheroes would call each other by their first names when they were out doing superhero stuff, like if like. If I don't know why there's not a comic where someone calls Batman Bruce and he like grabs them and goes, "What are you doing? <laughs> Shut up!" I I should have never told you. Ixnay on the Oospray. <laughs> but like, I have a new least favorite thing for superheroes to call each other now. <laughs> yeah, I can't get. I, I've never been able to get behind the Bat Cat thing. Yeah. Again, there's one person on this planet who likes <laughs> Bat and Cat. He's the guy writing the book. <sighs> See, the thing is, I think you're wrong. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Fuck you, buddy. No, I'm I, right. <laughs> I no, I think you're I think yes. I think you're wrong about there being one person who cares about it. I think there are a lot of people who care about it and are heavily invested in that relationship and people who <laughs> even <laughs> like that bit. I, I just mean the bat cat stuff. Like I, I, I accept that people are into the relationship, absolutely. But just the the dialogue, the Doctor Seuss of it all, is not good. Yeah. You want good Batman and Catwoman? Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, Catwoman thirty, Catwoman thirty two. 
You know, I'm glad you brought up uh, Will Pfeiffer earlier because nobody really talks about Will Pfeiffer anymore, and that was a really great run. That was a great run. His hero was excellent. The, the H. Dial series he briefly had. He, he is an underrated writer who I think wound up sort of he had to write Amazon's Attack. He had to write Amazon's Attack, and that was that was that. Yeah, exactly. It's like how. I mean, Let's put it, the countdown and the whole area around countdown. It killed a lot of careers. Uh, he's one of those guys who had like a whole career outside of comics along with okay. uh, his comics work. So I'm sure he's fine wherever he is, but I, I really would love to read more comics. Fine. He's really good. <laughs> Bees. My God. <laughs> so, um, Snyder's run, which immediately preceded this, obviously it was Snyder working with great Capullo for 52 issues straight you know, with King, we got a whole mess of artists from David Finch to Mikel Yanin to Lee Weeks, Tony Daniel, Jorge Fornes. Um, you know, do do you have a do you have a favorite artist? You know, that was in that mix. Uh, Mikel Yanin should have drawn that entire book, and Mikel Yanin should go back and redraw Batman R.I.P. so that it can it can look as good as uh, all of his stuff looks. One hundred percent. I, I absolutely agree, and, and sorry to interrupt, but uh, th- we should complain about this more, but this is the central problem with double shipping. Um, there is no visual continuity to this run, and if if I liked it, which, again, I, I don't, um, this would be a real bummer, you know, five or ten years from now to sit down and revisit, you know, in trade, looking how the basic fundamental look of the issue sometimes changes from issue to issue and Batman is going to continue to be double shipping. And I know there's nothing I can do to stop it, but again, I just want to underline what a bad idea this is. Yeah. I mean, I can absolutely understand pulling out certain specific stories within an 86, 85, wait, 95 plus however many annuals issue run that you're doing with specific artists. I think Cold Days works with Lee Weeks's very, you know, grounded, I guess, for want of a better word, style. But Yanin, I mean, I remember when he did Justice League Dark at the beginning of the New 52, and I remember looking at his art and saying, God, this guy needs to draw Batman. And when he started drawing Batman, I was like, this guy is perfect. For this he book. draws a great Bruce Wayne. I, I don't remember, yeah. who, you know, w- which of you guys said uh, Tom King doesn't much care for Bruce Wayne, but uh, I think Yannin made up for that. I remember he drew the, the epilogue scene in Metal, and it was all like the Justice League dressed up for like a fancy dinner party at Bruce's house, and just everybody in suits, just looking excellent. It's weird to have an artist that you really, really like and think is is super talented and you're like, oh, you know, I I hope he gets to do something like really great after this. And the book he is on currently is Batman. (laughs) Right? Like, because I, I mean, you know, I hope Mikhail Yannin draws Batman as much as he wants. Like, but it is very weird that I am looking forward to the next thing from pretty much everybody who worked on this, you know, from, from King, from Yannin, from a lot of the artists and the book they're on is Batman. The the book they're on is the most popular superhero ever. True. <laughs> uh, you mentioned the art in cold days, uh, 
Matt, I want to go back and say that uh, it was definitively the worst coloring I've ever seen in a Batman comic. Oh, there is that. The, just just who putting colored? it out there. Do you remember who colored that, that arc? Uh, Elizabeth Brightwater. Uh, yeah, and it was it was super super bad uh, because Bruce Wayne should never be in a black dress shirt. Mm. I anyway, don't recall coloring on the on the run. Um, it was bad. It was real bad. And it's fascinating that you know that was and that was Matt Wagner's thing that they forced his kid off that issue to get Brightwiser to or whoever was an in-house colorist to color that issue. Because they didn't want, they wanted the color, the coloring to fit with the rest of the run versus it looking like a Matt Wagner comic. Oh, which if you're reading Grendel Odyssey, please God, let it look like a Matt Wagner comic. I shouldn't talk about Matt Wagner and Batman, so I'll get off on my whole <laughs> Hunter Rose Bruce Wayne tangent. Which is well, I'll, I'll, I'll save you. I'll save Matt you from that. Uh, just one other person I just wanted to give a shout out to, um, Fornes Drew. Uh, 84 and he's done a few other issues but I was glad to see him go from uh, I don't know how many of you I know Will did read uh, Elliot Rahal's uh, Hot Lunch special the uh, Aftershock series oh exactly so to see Fornes go from from you know that to Batman I thought well you know I, I, I will agree that you know his style is is vastly different from a lot of the other artists on this list but you know I think it was a well-deserved uh, upgrade but uh, let's see. Well, we've definitely answered. Has the run gone on too long? Um, <laughs> okay. Scale of one to ten. How pissed were you about the wedding? That didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't mad because I knew it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, That's fair. Same. Like there was. I I I felt like that was where um, he was going to lose a lot of fans, but. I also felt like, I mean, like, how, how do you not know that's not going to happen? <laughs> like, like, it, it, like everybody reading that book should have been like, oh, right, this, this, there's, there's no way. The problem, I think, is that it didn't happen, and also the way it didn't happen was, I did not enjoy the way it was told. Um, I, when it came out, I talked about how the, the, the doing the pinups as part of the story, like the, the multi-artist, oh, like yeah, single-page yeah. splashes. It, I feel like that's such a good idea in theory. And I don't feel like it worked. Uh, it certainly didn't work as well as they wanted it to. Um, I, I, I can, I can easily see why anyone would have decided to do it. Cause yeah, it's a big deal. We're doing this big thing. It's a big landmark in the relationship with these two characters. We can like really celebrate it and bring everybody in. But in practice, it just looked like, there was a comic and then it got like mixed up with the big drawer they have full of art just in case Batman runs a couple pages <laughs> short this month. Uh, like, so uh, boss, uh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, yeah. Boss, I got a quick question for you. When does this podcast uh, it's, it's, drop? I'm editing it tomorrow. It's going up this week. Oh, okay. Well, damn, I can't spoil the damn thing. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but uh, the, the whole question of the wedding is so delightfully revisited in 85 and I just at, like if I was really invested in it I think I would scream uh, but I just read it and I was like that's funny that's just really funny <laughs> what you bastards did um, but yeah I, I think um, 
I think not doing the wedding was was a fatal a fatal wound, um, and that whatever goodwill it had to that point, it just kind of bled out. Um, and you know, if we want to do spoilers, we could do spoilers, but I, I'll just hold on to that. Um, do any of you watch wrestling or any wrestling guys? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, there's, you know how like you'll get these these like you know WrestleMania matches, and there'll be like, oh, it's you know, a guy does his finishing move, and the guy kicks out, and then he does his finishing move, the guy kicks out, and they do their finishing moves like five or six times. Um, I don't care for that. Uh, or or at the very least, like I think, if you if you kick out of one once, like it should be a big deal. And I get why they do it. It's you know, do more with less. Absolutely. It's just like Jim Gordon said, you know, escalation. Um, <laughs> but I remember, like, I remember um, Scott Hall, uh, who, uh, if you're a like '90s wrestling fan, you might remember mm-hmm. him as Razor Ramon. Um, I remember seeing him in an interview, and he's like, he's like, no one, like, like, the only thing that I really demand is that no one kicks out of my finisher. Uh, and he's like, yeah, because then it's not my finisher, is it? Like you know i'll do something else and and you can kick out but like if you're gonna kick out i'm just not gonna give it to you and i feel that way about that wedding issue where it's like yeah we all knew it wasn't gonna happen but like if we all know it's not gonna happen just don't do that story (laughs) like long way to go to get to that point i guess sorry guys no no i I, i'm gonna insist on telling you guys uh when we stop rolling tape it's it's too good it's too good (laughs) right okay I, oh, I both boy. dread and anticipate this at the same time. It's so terrible. <laughs> oh man. Um, so so let's talk a little bit about you know King himself. You know from we we talked about Mr. Miracle, you know a little bit ago. From like I would say let's say 2015 to last year, he was the guy who could do no wrong. You know in that that's the period where we got Omega Man, we got Vision, we got you know we got Miracle, and and. You know, then we got then we got Batman, and and you know we've all clearly made our feelings known about that. And Heroes in Crisis, which, you know, yeah, exactly. And Grayson, thank Grayson's you. I always forget about Grayson. A delight. Uh, um, but you know, know, knowing all of this, uh, you know, what is what is your anticipation level for for Strange Adventures for you know Team King Garrett's kind of reuniting for this uh, new story? And Doc Shaner, which actually has me very excited. Um, yeah, like I, th- there is a fundamental difference between writing Mister Miracle and writing Heroes in mm-hmm. Crisis, right? Like the there is such a wide berth of, of of quality of style, even in a lot of ways, um, between those two that it's weird that they deal with the exact same subject. Uh, and one of them does it very well. And the other one I think is, is so poorly done that it comes around to being the opposite of what its intent was. Uh, like I, I, I talked about this on, on uh, Ajax when it came out, we, we, again, if you want to hear me debate heroes in crisis uh, for half an hour, go, go listen. But I talked about how heroes in crisis number seven was a comic that like, it was the first time in a while that I have felt insulted by a comic and not as a, not as a person who reads comics or like, you know, a guy who really likes Batman. Like I felt insulted as a guy who like 
goes to therapy and has like has mental illness and, and takes medication, um, which I absolutely don't think was the intent. I think the intent was the exact opposite of that. Uh, but the story that was told was wildly uh, a misfire. Um, there is a fundamental difference between doing the big DC event book and doing the what is very clearly a very personal book like Mr. Miracle using these, you know, using using these corporately owned superhero characters that were created as a modern mythology by the best comic book creator who ever lived. Um, it, and so I, I feel like you, you can't... King is in this rare position where I don't think it's possible to evaluate what he's going to do next. Like, there's so many creators that they do something and they have such a good track record and, or, or, or they do something. And the first thing they do, I like it so much that I know I'm going to write it, like everything they do. First time I read a Jeff Parker book, I was like, this guy gets it. You know, uh, first, first time I had a conversation with Tim Seeley, I was like, Oh, he, he gets it. He knows what's up. Uh, Seeley said one of the smartest things that I've ever heard any, any, you know, male comics creator say, uh, which is that he said he made a, a solemn vow <laughs> uh, with himself that he would never create a uh, straight white male comic book character because we have Captain America and he's the best one. Like that was his that was his rationale. And it's like, oh, he gets it. Cool. Yeah. Like you know, you got to you got to do what you can. Um, Tom King has had such a weird couple of years that I have no idea what to expect next. I really want the uh, Adam Strange book to be as good as as Mr. Miracle. Uh, and there's no reason it shouldn't be other than the fact that, you know, Adam Strange is inherently not as good a character as Godfrey. <laughs> like, but you know, everybody, everybody has their day. Right. Yeah. But, I'm... Like, oh, sorry. Like, no, no, finish, please. All, like it just the, and I think Batman's a part of that where Batman is such a, cause it's not even like heroes in crisis, right? Like I don't care for the Batman run, but I don't, the reasons I don't care for it are not the reasons I don't care for Heroes in Crisis. Like, even the way Batman as a character is written in the pages of Heroes in Crisis is different. And it's 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 very weird to, like, have no idea what to expect out of, out of this guy next after reading 80 issues of him doing the, like, the flagship book of DC Comics, you know? Well, it's kind of strange that... It seems like he has works that are universally loved and universally loathed, and I think this Batman run falls kind of squarely in between. So I, I think you're right in that we we really don't know what to expect next. I I think about the history of comics a lot because that was that was kind of my my deal right when I was doing a lot of the the columns, and I still do this actually. <laughs> uh, just not at a dedicated comic site. I write a lot for uh, Looper, and I go through a lot of the histories of stuff. Like I did um, Supergirl the other day. It was very fun. Uh, when people look back on this era of Batman, I feel like like King as a writer is going to be where Doug Monch is, right? Because he's on that book forever. He's on that book for years, and no one talks about it. No one like because because no one goes back and thinks about it. I don't think five years from now, I don't think anybody's going to be thinking about this run. Uh, 
And I don't think that's, you know, not everything has to be a, a timeless monument. You know, you don't look upon my works, you might <laughs> Like, not everything has to be that. Um, but I think in five years, people are going to be talking about metal. I think in five years, people are going to be talking about Last Night on Earth and and the White Knight uh, books. Oh, let's, no. Let's <laughs> well. Stop there. Good or bad. Good or bad. They're going to be talking about them. Whether it's, whether it's like, oh, these were, you know. Uh, these were really great, or whether it's oh, look at look at how you know, look at all the weird stuff they were doing with the Joker. Like I think the Stefan Sajic uh, Harley Quinn book, people are probably going to be talking about for a while. I but I feel I like Tom, Tom King's run on as, as the writer of Batman is going to be like before Watchmen, where it's been it's been a decade and no one mentions it. No one t- like it's not in the conversation at all. I'll agree with that. Yeah. Um, like Mr. Miracle, Mr. Miracle is going to sell forever, like guaranteed. There's going to be like Mr. Miracle is going to be a college textbook. It is it is going to be taught like Watchmen is taught and like Dark Knight is taught. Like that's there is no doubt in my mind that book's going to sell forever. That's that's Tom King's retirement plan is Mr. Miracle is going to sell forever. Uh, Batman, I feel like, is his current thing because, you know, geez, for a book that a lot of people don't seem to like, like I'm sure sales were not affected. <laughs> They never are on Batman, Well, right? I, I, actually, you mentioned sales, though. It's been interesting to watch as stuff like, uh, you know, Immortal Hulk has taken over. And I think that's that's part of the reason why, why King was moved along. Like, his book literally has not been selling as well as maybe DC would hope. I mean, well, it's... I mean, in a, in a just world, Immortal Hulk would be selling the most <laughs> of anything. <laughs> like... Because it's great, like, but but I do think we are in a period right now in comics, and honestly, like, not to not to be like the the cranky old man that I am increasingly becoming, but like, there's always good stuff, right? I I complain about I hated the new Fifty Two era of DC Comics, but there was good stuff in there, mm-hmm. you know. There's there's always good stuff. We're kind of in an era now where like there's a lot of good stuff. Like, there's an overwhelming amount of good comics. All the X-Men books are good. <laughs> like, X-Men as a franchise is as good as it's ever been right now. Uh, Immortal Hulk is incredible. Uh, and, you know, Doomsday Clock's <laughs> coming out this week, so... Uh, Doomsday Clock ain't never going to be taught in a, in a college class. I'll tell you that one for free. <laughs> but, like... And, and I feel like if that's the competition that you're up against, then, like, yeah. Like, people are going to be talking about Immortal Hulk forever. Like... I don't think anybody's going to talk about it's going to be whatever the if the world exists in 2030 whatever the equivalent of like comics blogging and like comics twitter and and comics websites is going to be like hey here's a weird old back issue where batman's dad naked wrestles bane and that's going to be like oh that that was right before uh, luke fox became batman right oh that was a good run like that's what it's, that's what it's going to be but I feel like people are going to be being like, yeah, remember that time Jim Gordon had a Mecha Batman suit? <laughs> she was raw. Oh, I fucking hated Super Heavy. Oh, then, then, then <laughs> I should leave. <laughs> I'm just saying. I didn't like it. I'm telling you, weird Batman. Weird Batman. There's That's not it. any weirder than Super Heavy. No, there really isn't. But I you, love it. You, you do you, bro. You do you. Oh, Jim Gordon working out, <laughs> cutting his hair. Hey, uh, can I uh, can I smoke in this suit or not? 
My hey, that's, my, that's my prediction. Okay. I'm looking forward to Strange Adventures. I also am that rare breed that is actually a fan of Adam Strange. Um, but we've already had the super dark revisionist Adam Strange story in the 90s. Late 80s, early 90s. You uh, the prestige re- format one? Yeah. Yeah, that one's good. Yeah, uh, and then, then there was another attempt at it with um in the uh, mid two thousands with uh, Pascal Ferry did the art. Andy Diggle and Pascal Ferry, Planet. Andy Diggle and Pascal Ferry, yes. that was a good book. That was that was well dark. That still had this big sort of adventure feel to it, while Man of Two Worlds is just real dark. Um, not, and I said that's not a bad thing. I I I'm all for a real dark story if it's well written. I just. I don't think we can get... I mean, and I also, by the way, do completely agree that Scott Free is an inherently better character than Adam Strange, and I like Adam Strange, but I just... I don't know what... what King... what story King has to tell about Adam Strange. And is it just going to be another, you know, oh, woe is me, I'm a man of two worlds story, which has been done sort of to death with Adam Strange. I mean, that's a lot of what, what Mr. Miracle is, too. Yes. But it doesn't, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be that story, though. It, I just don't know, like, are they going to try and capture lightning in a bottle the second time and, and tell a similar story? Or, there's look, there's a lot you can do with Adam Strange. He's got a jetpack. Oh, yeah. He can go a lot of places. Yeah. There, I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, he could do all sorts of weird cosmology stuff. Have yeah. Adam Strange traveling the universe and tell all sorts of weird and cool stories. So I'm happy to give it a shot. And you put Doc Shaner on any comic, and oh, yeah. I will read it. But I, I just, I'm holding my breath in, you know, anticipation and a little bit of like I don't know where this is going to go and I hope it's I hope I'm going to get another Mr. Miracle out of this that that is the best case scenario all right yes. well let's let, let's let's turn the cover let, let's let's have a little uh, a cool down exercise kind of tur- turn things around here uh it's the holiday season Santa Claus is coming around uh what is y'all's favorite piece of Batman related holiday media you know comic cartoon cereal box uh whatever the the story with Bat Santa is pretty funny (laughs) and weirdly dark (laughs) um but like legitimately like the Holly and the or the Harley and the Ivy is a really great Christmas story and I love I love where uh the part where uh, Bruce takes his own death to get out of it. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yes. Um, for me, same issue, different story. The one story from the Batman Adventures holiday special that was not adapted into the animated form, the Mr. Freeze story, the mm. ending to that story, those last couple pages, you just you feel it in your heart. And it's the best use of Mr. Freeze and Batman the Animated Series after Heart of Ice, where after that it became kind of like, I don't know if they exactly know what they're doing with Freeze after that tragic origin, 
because now he's meeting Walt Disney and now he's ahead on spider legs. Um, not bad, but not, you know, quite hard of ice, but that final with him just doing it for his memory of Nora and Bruce leading him away, you know, with his arm around his shoulder is a beautiful story and is telling of that the Batman, the animated series Batman is a lot, is very empathetic towards the villains who aren't the Joker. Yeah. I, I, there's, we, you know, you talked about it. Oh, one of, one of you talked about it already, but like there is a kindness at the heart of Batman that I feel like a lot of people miss. And yes. it's at the heart of some, like, so there, it, look, it's the reason year one's better than Dark Knight Returns is because the end of that story is Batman jumps off bridge to save a baby. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even have his costume on. Like yep. he does it because it's the right thing to do. I really yep. like, the, the end of uh, Signal of the Animated Series, the end of Harley's Holiday. Yes. I had a bad yes. day too once. Such a good, such a good little piece of writing. Love yes. it. I want, and I was the one who said because I want, a, Batman is an inherently hopeful character. And that gets forgotten. This is a guy who goes out there every night hoping that there won't be any crime. I mean, he's always prepared for it to happen, but a night where there's nothing of the... It's, oh, what's the, the silent night of Batman? Yeah. Another Christmas story where, you know, he sees that there's no crime and he's, you know, he, he winds up caroling with the GCPD and he's happy about it. It's why I'm grateful as magnificent a writer as he is in general why Harlan Ellison only wrote the one Batman story because he <laughs> completely doesn't get the character in that one story oh my god it is so wrong headed yes but he did write City on the Edge of Forever so you know it's okay yeah, I have no mouth but I shall scream but I must scream is phenomenal he's ri- boy and his dog he's written a ton of great work just not with Batman <laughs> Well, how about you? You got a you got a holiday Batman favorite? Uh, I'll go with the uh, the low bar, uh, the low bridge, Christmas with the Joker. Uh, just a, a fabulous episode, and Harvey Bullock makes an Doesn't adorable baby. <laughs> <laughs> that actually that is my answer as well. Um, That's really surprising to me. Because I like, I mean, I haven't come back and watched Christmas with the Joker in a while, but it was always one of my least favorite episodes. And I'm a, I'm a Christmas guy. Like I love Christmas, so uh, maybe I should go revisit it. I'm, I'm by no means saying that you are wrong. I just like it's very surprising. I should. I mean, I, I could be wrong. I, I willingly admit that it it has a great line about uh, when Bruce and Dick are sitting down to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Is that the one where they watch It's a Wonderful Life? Yes. Okay, yeah, that that scene is really good. I couldn't get past the title, and Dick's, it's a, it's the story about how important one man can be to a city, and kind of gives Bruce a look. Yeah, that that bit I I do know that bit. I didn't remember it was from that episode. That's a really good bit. Thank, thanks for giving me a recommendation on what to watch tomorrow <laughs> while I'm working. There you go. Um, well, guys, this has been this has been a a great conversation. Uh, good good chat. Uh. As we're as we're wrapping up, uh, how can people follow uh, y'all's online uh, and everything you got going on? If you in fact wish to be followed, um, well, uh, my name is, is Chris Sims, and uh, you can follow me on the bad website Twitter, but you, you shouldn't. No one should be on it. 
It's a terrible, <laughs> terrible website. All tweets are bad. Uh, but uh, you can, if you would like to speak to me directly, you can there. Um, I also have a website. It is the-isb.com. That's I-S-B. It's my old blog, and now it has links to all the stuff that I do, columns that I write, comics that I've written that you can buy uh, at your local comic book store on Amazon.com or Comixology. Uh, you can see me put my money where my mouth is and judge for yourself whether I should be complaining about anyone else's work. Uh, yeah. And uh, I also have a ton of other podcasts that uh, you mentioned at the top of the show. So, Will? Uh, well, I write for uh, my very gracious overlord, uh, Dan, at uh, WMQComics.com. And I have been teasing Dan for like the last week or so uh, with these uh, mysterious audio files. And here, leading up to my big news, uh, this week I will be launching my own podcast. So I'll be putting that together, finishing, uh, finishing, uh, finishing that and getting it ready. What's it called? Uh, it's called The Breezeway comics and a whole bunch of stuff and my 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 first show uh will have a um an archival interview with uh elliot rahal from a couple of years ago great great creator great guy sweet guy love it where can people get this good shit uh i don't know yet i'm gonna figure out what to do with it um but um, you can follow me at Will Nevin on the bad website, and um, I don't know. Maybe I got a boss that'll uh, you know that'll that'll host the podcast, or who knows? Who knows? Maybe maybe you'll just have to come to my house and I'll play it for you. <laughs> well, yeah, I I I want to talk more about this. Um, <laughs> off my, um okay, uh, Matt, you got anything to throw in? Less words. If you listen to this podcast, I'm on here every week. Go to WMQ. That's where I put up pretty much all my writing online. I am on the bad website as well, MattLaz1013. I've been trying my best to put my warm-hearted Pollyanna-esque feelings on there, and as everyone who attempts to do so have been slowly but surely crushed under the weight of it, but I continue to try. I know it's killing you inside. Let it out. Let it out, man. <laughs> you just keep giving Twitter the the Care Bear stare. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Thank you so much. Merry, uh, Merry Batmas to all and to all a good night. <laughs> That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. Where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. And if we hit $10 in monthly donations, we'll start a new project, either a second podcast about the DC animated features, a deep dive retrospective on James Robinson and Tony Harris's Starman, or a manga for beginners feature. Uh, big thanks to our existing patrons, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust, Charlie Davis from The Young Ones Podcast, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks at XavierFiles.com and Scott Madrinsky from Mojoswork.com. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. 
Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next time. WMQA!